Welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, today is August 25th. It's Wednesday, and we are pre-recording for our Sunday, August 29th, uh, sh- uh, first airing, followed by our Monday re-airing on the August 30th. Uh, today, it is me and Jasmine running the show. Hey, ga- hey Jasmine. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, do you have? Do you listen to um? How did this get made? I do. I love that show. So do I. But I love how Paul Shear and his wife are always like, "How are you, Paul?" As if they don't like live together with yes or whatever. So we were just talking for him. It's like, "Hello, Emily." Hello. <laughs> I know. It's I also June Diane Raphael. It's his wife. She's I love her. She's a big advocate for Greece too which is also one of my pet projects um, is advocating for that movie. So oh, that's a, okay. you just I'm hit not, on it. <laughs> not in the same boat as you with it. Well, that's fine. Um, you know, more for us, I guess, or, or whatever. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer forever. It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. I love trash and I think that's okay. Um, but we are, we are here for the, the show, for the news. Um, it is sweltering outside. We're in another heat wave. We are recording separately in our own spaces, uh, but coming together vocally <laughs> to uh, discuss some important issues out there. And up first is Jasmine with the local news. So Jasmine, take it away. Yes. And I just wanted to say a quick uh, shout out. Like normally Reese would be with us, but she could. Oh, yeah. And we hope that she is doing well in the Midwest where she's at right now. So you'll hear from her next week. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of you, Reese, like we are. We are, even if I pretended that you weren't here and that was fine. I mean, Um, pretend she's not here. Well, yes, we're for reals. She's really not here, but we, and we really do miss her. She's so, here yeah. in spirit. She's here yeah, in she spirit. Is. All she right. Is. And in, in that spirit, we're back in the New York groove. So this is a story written by Allah Elasser for CNN. The title is Concert Celebrating New York City's Comeback Cut Short by Severe Weather Ahead of Hurricane Henri. Thousands of people celebrating the return of New York City at a concert in Central Park were interrupted by severe weather ahead of Hurricane Henri's anticipated Sunday landfall. Some of music's biggest names descended on the Great Lawn at New York City's iconic Central Park for the We Love NYC, the homecoming concert, on Saturday to perform for a vaccinated crowd of 60,000. The concert was meant to be a celebration of New York City's comeback after a challenging 17 months marked by the COVID-19 pandemic and promote health, safety, and equity, according to a news release for the show. Nearly three hours after the concert started, the New York City Police Department, they put in parentheses NYPD, but we know who they are. Uh, issued an advisory to all concert attendees in Central Park to evacuate due to approaching severe weather, according to the agency's Twitter page. When the storm arrived, nearly four inches of rainfall was recorded in Central Park Saturday night, with 1.69 inches having fallen between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m., according to the National Weather Service. 
Before the weather forced the concert to be halted, concert goers got to witness multiple performances, including J.P. Sachs and Julia Michaels' If, If the World Was Ending. I don't know if the if is necessary, but okay. Uh, Italian superstar Andrea Bocelli's O Sole Mio and Earth, Wind & Fire's classic hit September. Guitar legend Carlos Santana was also joined by Wycliffe Jean to perform Maria Maria. Jennifer Hudson delivered a striking performance of the aria Nessun Dorma with the New York Philharmonic and Rev Run from hip-hop group Run DMC performed It's Tricky with LL Cool J. Barry Manilow's performance of I Can't Smile Without You was cut short due to the inclement weather in the area. While he was interrupted by loudspeakers making evacuation announcements, Manilow was able to talk to Anderson Cooper about the interruption and sing the song he wasn't able to perform. The event, which was already exclusively on CNN, was produced by legendary music executive Clive Davis in coordination with the City of New York and Live Nation. The coverage began with a pre-show hosted by Anderson Cooper at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, with the concert kicking off at 5 p.m. It is unclear if the concert will be continued at a later date. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said Saturday night he was disappointed that the concert was cut short due to the weather, yet expressed his thanks to the throngs of people who came to the event. While it's disappointing that tonight's concert had to end early, The safety of everyone in attendance had to come first, the mayor tweeted. To everyone who came out tonight, thank you. Thank you for showing the world that New York City is coming back stronger than ever before. De Blasio declared a state of emergency ahead of Hurricane Henri making landfall on Long Island Sunday, he announced on Twitter Saturday afternoon. Henri, which strengthened from a tropical storm late Saturday morning over the Atlantic, could make landfall at or near hurricane strength on New York's Long Island or southern New England on Sunday, so that this is past. Um, Parts of of the Northeast began to feel Hurricane Henri's first impacts on Saturday evening as the storm barreled toward the coast ahead of an anticipated Sunday landfall, threatening to bring damaging winds, dangerous storm surge, and flooding to an already saturated area. And uh, this is just some additional information that was written up in The Gothamist on the 23rd of August by Jake Offenharts. Uh, In Central Park, 1.9 inches of rain were recorded between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Saturday, an all-time high since tracking began in the 19th century. Much of Brooklyn received more than 8 inches of rain over a 48-hour period, with devastating effects for much of the borough. The storm also forced the MTA to suspend service on some Metro North and Long Island Railroad lines, as well as a handful of subways. But as of Monday morning, the entire system was functioning normally, according to MTA boss Jano Lieber, who credited the thousands of additional transit workers who surged into the system over the weekend. Uh, And then skipping down a little bit, scientists have warned that New York City is poised to see an increase in heavy rainfall events as climate change boost evaporation rates that lead to more moisture in the air. Kristen Tello, the National Weather Service meteorologist, said the phenomenon of added moisture appeared to play a role in this weekend's drenching. 
It provides the ingredients for what we saw, Kristen Tello said, added. When you do have a tropical system and these problems are already there, that's going to be a lot of moisture. So yeah, like there was the concert news and then also the general climate news for this uh, group of islands that we call New York City. Um, Jasmine, I've got to say, uh, as much as that was not like a good uh, story, um, you were very good at telling it. Um, I was muted, but I was giggling um, a bit. Why'd you mute yourself? I don't know. I should have. I am actually recording myself um, separately. I can send you that audio if you want to grab some of the giggles um, as backup. But um, but yeah, it was actually... Um, so I was actually in Connecticut <laughs> last weekend. Um, funny enough, I had a wedding and, um, you well, know, my congratulations to the happy couple. Oh, well, thank you so much. They are two of my best friends from college and they had postponed their wedding from last year and, you know, going in and, you know, everyone at the wedding was vaccinated. So that was very cool. Um, and, but still like, you know, in my mind, that was the big concern of the whole week is like, you know, what is new with Delta, blah, blah, blah. But little did I know there would also be, you know, a hurricane in, in Connecticut, like, and on, <laughs> on the, the, I was taking the Metro North up and I, I got like six of those like emergency alerts on my phone about. That shit is so scary. I kept six getting of them. Beep, 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 beep. 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 I was with two friends and they each got like one or two. I got six of them. So it's just like they're, they're targeting the anxiety people. It feels like, um, and that became a whole thing of over the weekend. It's like, okay, well I probably shouldn't take the Metro North back because it's on the coast and then it ends up getting canceled anyway. So it was a whole, it was a whole to do that. I found myself in the middle of in a way that I did not expect. Um, and I saw those videos of the storms too in the city. It was wild. It was bad. It's like, I'm yeah. where I'm at that, you know, I don't, I'm not in an area where it's a huge problem. It was just like rainy, mm-hmm. but I definitely saw clips of some subway stations I'm familiar mm-hmm. with where stuff was like breaking down. Mm-hmm. There was flooding. There was stuff coming out from the roof of mm-hmm. the subway stations. Like one of the subways in Queens that I used to be like my commute station like my mm-hmm. final destination when I was mm-hmm. going to work in Queens mm-hmm. it was like you would have thought somebody was taking a shower in the yeah. subway like it was just so bad. much water bad bad yeah I think I saw one where like the water was coming up through the the card reader the card readout it was so um flooded. yeah or maybe it was just above it or something I don't know it was bad I'm watching the video now and it's actually not through the reader, but it's right on top of it, basically soaking the machine. And then there's another video where one world trade got struck by lightning at the, the little steeple. Yeah. You know, and I just want to say when I first heard about these shows happening, like the NYC is back, baby, like concerts. Premature. I thought this shit is absolutely ridiculous. Like I cannot believe they are doing this. Like I know that it's like, oh, everyone has to be vaccinated. Be that as it may, mm-hmm. we are still very much in a global pandemic. There are these variants coming up. You can be vaccinated and still get COVID. You can be vaccinated and still get and transmit COVID to other people even if you yourself are not going to bear like the brunt of like getting really sick or having to go to the hospital. 
and with these variants and everything like it's the virus is changing like so the covid of like a year ago is not the same covid that we're dealing with now it has changed mm-hmm. so to me it's like i i understand like the desire to be like yeah let's celebrate but i also feel like as like a leader in the city like i don't know what the hell the mayor was thinking about doing these things and you know and i'm like who uh, it was almost like well yeah and mother nature agrees with me because like what's happening like what are you thinking about like this is not a good idea no, I know. It does it did does feel like extremely premature, especially considering like, you know, there's a lot of there's daily new information coming out about like the variants and what it means and all that stuff and and um et cetera, et cetera. But like regardless of of all of that and you know how protected vaccinated people are, um, like there's still parts of this country that are like have run out of ICU beds. Right. So it, it feels it does feel strange and and like myopic to be hosting like you know oh we're done with covid like big celebrations like that for sure man and they really like i don't know if you know that michael jordan meme where he's like f them kids it's like if you're (laughs) under 12 you cannot get the vaccine like people get sick in like family clusters like you might have a relative that is older that is immunocompromised that is a child that cannot have the vaccine yet so, you know, it's like as much as I understand people feeling cooped up and they want to get out, yeah. I, when I saw that come out, I was just like shaking my head in disbelief because they're doing it in all of the borough. Like there's a series of these shows. Oh, it wasn't just, yeah, it's like in every borough, there's like going to be these comeback concerts, like NYC is back. Mm-hmm. And I just am like, I'm going to be up in my apartment with my cat in my bed (laughs) and praying for the people that don't have a choice but to be out there. Because there's people that have to work these events that don't have a choice. There's people that have to serve the people at these events. They don't have a choice. Right. So, yeah, it's, you know, and especially with um, knowing that these types of weather events are going to be increasingly common in the city it just was like man it's like it looks bad now but as when this starts happening like more and more often every year like what's going to happen with the subway system you know or just in general with with people's homes flooding and things like that bad bad you want to take us to the first song this is a song by (laughs) I guess you could say he's an icon of the tri-state area, Billy Joel. Definitely an icon. Uh, The title is Miami 2017. I hope you enjoy the track, and we'll be right back after this musical break. Palisades 
They all bought Cadillacs and left there long ago. We held a concert out in Brooklyn to watch the island bridges blow. They turned our power down and drove us underground, but we went right on with the show. can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Uh, welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, and now for our world news story, here is Emily. Oh, yeah. We're also we're switching it up a little bit today. We're doing world in the middle. Um, and this story comes from an August 20th New York Times article by Mike Ives titled Nicole Kidman's Quarantine Pass Generates Anger in Hong Kong. The article explains, quote, When Nicole Kidman flew into Hong Kong to film a television series about wealthy expatriates, Residents could not help noticing some of the perks at hand, a private jet, a personal driver, and most important, a pass out of mandatory quarantine. Some of them saw a case of life imitating art or the power of celebrity, or at least a public relations mishap amid a pandemic. But either way, many people in the Chinese territory regarded the Australian actress's end run around coronavirus rules, some of the strictest in the world, as a symbol of the unfairness that pervades a city known for its soaring inequalities. On Friday, the rare exemption was a point of debate on the floor of the city's legislature. Now that you have created a precedent, does that mean that all foreign movie stars will be exempted when they fly to Hong Kong to film movies? Michael Tien, a pro-establishment lawmaker, asked Sophia Chan, the health secretary. If not, can you explain why Nicole was superior to everyone else, even though I like her a lot? Ms. Kidman went shopping in central Hong Kong two days after she flew in from Sydney, Australia, on a private jet, uh, the South China Morning Post reported. The government later confirmed that she and four crew members had been allowed to bypass a rule that required vaccinated travelers from Australia to quarantine in a hotel for a week. The time was increased to two weeks on Friday. A Hong Kong regulation allows a top city official to grant quarantine exemptions to people whose work is deemed in the interest of the city's economic development. 
The Commerce and Economic Development Bureau said on Thursday that Ms. Kidman's exemption allows her to carry out designated professional work that is seen as necessary to the local economy. Several, um, quote, several critics have noted that Ms. Kidman is in Hong Kong to film Expats, an Amazon, an Amazon Prime video series based on the Expatriates, a 2016 novel by Janice Y.K. Lee that satirizes affluent Westerners in the financial hub. Others contrasted her freedom to travel with conditions in Australia, observing that she visited an upscale Hong Kong clothing boutique just as Sydney went back into lockdown. Quote, many residents have long complained about Hong Kong's inequalities and territory leaders have faced other public backlashes for setting different COVID rules for the rich and the poor. In May, the government quietly announced a plan to exempt corporate executives from quarantine, but it later put the plan on pause. About the same time, officials backtracked on a contentious order that would have required migrant domestic workers to be vaccinated. But the government went ahead with a plan to subject, to subject those workers to a second round of compulsory coronavirus testing, even though the first round had turned up only three cases among 340,000 people. Uh, the inequality in Hong Kong is highlighted in another New York Times article from January 26th of this year, titled, In Coffin Homes and Cages, Hong Kong Lockdown Exposes Inequality. The city's notorious tenement apartments are potential hotbeds of transmission with their cramped quarters, faulty piping, and, for, and poor ventilation. The article explains, quote, Hong Kong has long, been <clears throat> has long been one of the most unequal places on earth, a city where sleek luxury malls sit shoulder to shoulder with overcrowded tenements where the bathroom sometimes doubles as the kitchen. In normal times, that inequality is often concealed by the city's glittery surface. But during the coronavirus pandemic, its cost has become unmistakable. A neighborhood named, quote, Jordan is home to some of the city's highest concentrations of tenements, the subdivided flats that are created when apartments are parceled out into two or more smaller, smaller ones. More than 200,000 of the city's poorest residents live in such units, where the average living space per person is 48 square feet, less than one-third the size of a New York City parking space. Some spaces are so tiny and restrictive that they are called cages or coffin homes. Uh, Hong Kong's real estate market, oh, sorry, quote, Hong Kong's real estate market is consistently ranked as the world's least affordable. So that is my story. Uh, it's, I was, I was very much struck by it. I know that we've talked a bit on the show about how, there's a, there, you know, especially at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of rhetoric around like, oh, you know, the coronavirus doesn't discriminate, you know, rich, poor, like whatever, every race. But um, what we absolutely saw was even from the start that people with means had access to uh, way more resources, whether it was, you know, like testing that they were able to get access to that regular people weren't uh, or like um, family. Yeah, exactly. Or just access just to space. for example. Just for example. Um or just space, right? Uh private space where you can you know quarantine away from others or isolate away from others and prevent further infection amongst your own family units. Uh in this article was you know, I mean, I was very much struck by how blatant it was in terms of its um you know, just disregard of the rules as if, you know, a film set couldn't put be on hold for, you know, couldn't plan around the travel plans of this movie star. Yeah. What do you think? 
Um, yeah, like yes to all of that. And also like there's the difference between people with money and people who have different types of privilege, like which can be a combination of things. Like it can be your class and your race and other things, um, mm-hmm. your celebrity status. So like that can keep you safer. But there's also the other side of it, which is about like your freedom of movement just in general. It's like there's been a lot of talk about and a lot of um, xenophobic racist targeting of Asian people throughout this whole time when, you know, people were reporting that, you know, they were coming in and out of Italy and things like that. But because they were white and coming from a Western country, they were not being subjected to like this extra scrutiny that Mm -hmm. someone who was not white coming from a non-Western country was getting, even though Italy was, you know, going through hell with the virus, you know, so there's a lot of that too, where it's like, um, there are people who, because of their race, because of their class and other things that um, afford them privilege, like they are given the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like cleanliness Mm -hmm. or being disease free. And then there's other people who are no matter what, like they're just assumed to be dirty. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me is like what this sounds like, you know, it's like, well, you know, she's rich, she's famous, like that doesn't mean anything, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly like if her work requires her to go here, there and everywhere, and we know people can be asymptomatic and be spreading it, it doesn't make a difference, you know, but, you know, like they'll say that, oh, we have, it's like these rules for this group of people, and then like George Carlin said in his stand-up, it's like, it's a big club and you're not in it as far mm-hmm. as the people that don't have to abide by the rules that the mm-hmm. rest of us plebs got to go by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's also, I, I mean, they, you know, if their explanation for giving her a pass was that, you know, she needs to work because it's in the interest of the city. It's like, okay, well then does she need to go shopping? Cause that's what she's spent, you know, that's what she's doing. You know, it's like, And I guess I don't I guess they can't like say like you can only work and then you have to quarantine. But yes, you can. You can totally say that. I mean, we're all sort of making this up as we go along. Um, Yeah. And and your your issues, the issues you brought up around race, too. I didn't really get into it, but that article from January that I was quoting went pretty deep into um, the discrimination against South Asian res- residents of Hong Kong. There's and that how big of an issue that actually is um, about like they were the article says, you know, to put it in perspective, one third of South Asian families with children in Hong Kong fall below the poverty line, which is almost double the proportion for all families citywide. So there's absolutely is. Um, yeah. And this article, this part of the article says to quote, many South Asians live in and around Jordan including in subdivided flats. And as the virus spread, some locals began making sweeping accusations of unhygienic behavior. So it's not just in the U S where, um, you know, those, so those sorts of accusations are coming, um, along coming along, uh, with racist, you know, accusations behind them, uh, racist focus, focus, foci focuses. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's as old as disease itself, you know, Mm -hmm. like whether it's back in the day, like when the plague made a comeback in the West and the U.S., like blaming Chinese immigrants or, Mm -hmm. you know, blaming certain like specific groups of people when really 
it's just a part of human nature and just nature in general that pandemics happen, viruses arise. Mm -hmm. But this um, jump to scapegoat specific groups, like it just, you see it happen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, and you said she was there filming something that's about expats. Mm-hmm. The the irony, yeah, that was absolutely a part of the story. Yeah, so she's filming the film adaptation of a book called The Expatriates, uh, which is about affluent Westerners in Hong Kong. So, like, you really can't get uh, much more on the nose. With that's that. super important to the city. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean, I guess like, you know, if you're trying to show like, look, we have so much money, even though, you know, so much of the population does not, then yeah, you would want a movie. And I would be pissed if I was somewhere in that area, especially if I were someone who was, you know, lower income or struggling. And, you know, I got to live under certain restrictions, but you letting this Australian woman come in and do whatever she wants. Mm -hmm. And then the work that she's doing is probably work that is going to further stigmatize Mm -hmm. and erase me. You know, I I would be very upset, you know, because did you watch? All right. This might not be a great thing to say, but I watched The White Lotus, that show on HBO I the haven't watched it yet. I, I, I know. watched that show and I like I have a thing where like I will completely mix things up. I thought it was this other show that had Nicole. I was like, where's yes. Nicole Kidman? It's I, actually, not. <laughs> I thought it was that show too when people were it's telling complete, me about it. It's a whole other yeah. show. And there was like uh, the White Lotus was it has some good performances in it but it's like the way that the people who are native to Hawaii I feel were just completely mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of how the black characters were portrayed mm-hmm. but there was a character at the beginning that was like oh like I think this person is supposed to be like a native Hawaiian person and also of a different like a lower socioeconomic status so we're gonna get that perspective Mm-hmm. I was wrong. <laughs> no, it's like you know, th- there's a lot of these things that get promoted as if it's like some biting commentary or satire right. or whatever. And it's like, at what point are you just reinforcing just into the it. same yeah. shit? Because yep. like you're just you're setting this in this area as if the people that have you know bled and died or whatever on this land or that are struggling now mm-hmm. don't matter they don't exist like they're just these background shadows so I, honestly whatever this show is i hope it's a flop because it's <laughs> ridiculous i uh it may i mean who knows uh with the sort of negative publicity around it But anyway, I think it's time for us to go to our next musical break. Uh, I have picked out a song that uh, is one of my all-time favorites. And whenever I'm feeling really stressed out about the news, it sort of like, it, you know, reinforces that while also sort of like soothes it. Because it's like, oh, someone understands. Uh, But this is This Is Hell by Elvis Costello. And we'll be right back with some more news. Stay tuned. This is hell. This is hell I am. Sorry to tell you it never gets better or worse But you'll get used to it after a spell Good heaven is hell 
Radio Free Brooklyn is sponsored in part by Elevate Pharmacy, offering little or no cost medical braces. More information is available at 844-598-6639. Hello and welcome back to Object the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am Emily here today with Jasmine and we have the national news story for you. And uh, Jasmine, take it away. All right, so this is a story from Reuters. The reporting was done by Marina Lika Roy and Manas Mishra in Bangalore, Dina Beasley in Los Angeles, and it was edited by Arun Koyur, Mark Porter, and Jonathan Oadis. So the story goes like this. Pfizer Incorporated on Wednesday said a booster dose of its two-shot COVID-19 vaccine spurs a more than threefold increase in antibodies against the coronavirus as the company seeks U.S. regulatory approval for a third injection. The drug maker and its German partner, BioNTech SE, aim to complete the submission for use of booster shots in people aged 16 and over by the end of this week. And this story is from today, uh, Wednesday, August the 25th. The U.S. government has said it was gearing up to roll out the third shot of vaccines from both Pfizer and Moderna Incorporated from mid-September to Americans who had their initial course more than eight months ago if the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention decide that boosters are needed. The eight-month gap is likely to be narrowed to six months, the Wall Street Journal reported on Wednesday. The Committee of Outside Advisors to the CDC is scheduled to meet on Monday to review clinical data. Pfizer said 306 people were given a third dose of its vaccine between five and eight months after their second shot showed levels of neutralizing antibodies that were 3.3 times the level seen after their second shot. The study, details of which have not yet been published, also found that side effects of a third shot were similar to second dose reactions, including mild to moderate fatigue and headache, the company said. Scientists continue to debate whether waning antibody levels mean that COVID vaccine boosters need to be given widely, but some countries are moving ahead. Israel began rolling out boosters at the beginning of August to older citizens and this week expanded the drive to people as young as 30. 
saying the shots were helping to increase protection against the highly infectious Delta variant of the coronavirus. U.S. President Joe Biden has said it's the best way to protect ourselves from new variants that may arise. However, World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said the data on the benefits and safety of a COVID-19 booster shot is inconclusive. The health agency called for a delay in rolling out booster shots and a goal of higher vaccination rates in countries where many had not received a first or second shot. On Monday, U.S. regulators granted full approval to Pfizer's two-dose vaccine, which has been available up until now under emergency use authorization. The approval spurred some local governments, such as New York City and the state of New Jersey, as well as the U.S. military and some companies to mandate vaccines. A third dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is not currently authorized for broad use in the United States. However, under the amended emergency use authorization, a third dose was authorized for administration to individuals at least 12 years of age who were immunocompromised. Pfizer and BioNTech said they intend to file the data with the European Medicines Agency and other regulatory authorities around the world in coming weeks. So, yeah, it's like there's the... um, There's the, what do you call it, the FDA approval has finally happened, and then all this talk of the third dose. Um, I know Mm -hmm. I've heard some people just personally that have, like, different conditions, like, considering getting another shot um, once one is available, but uh, what do you think about this development? I think that, um, so I spend a lot of time just Googling and reading and, you know, trying to soothe my, my anxiety about lots of things, um, related to this. I think that it's so, it's very tricky. Um, no, I don't know. Tricky is not the right word. I don't know if it's tricky or if the word's like a catch 22, um, when it comes to giving a third dose to better protect, people who have access to doses at all while so many people in the world remain unvaccinated. Um, right. It's, it's feels like, but, and then I, I mean, I don't really understand production lines for these sorts of things really, you know, intimately enough to say whether, you know, is, is someone in India not getting a dose because someone in the U S is getting a third dose. Like, I don't know if that's a one-to-one versus, um, do you know what I mean? Because I mean, I know the U.S. like there's their surplus at a certain point, right? Like anyone can walk in at any point right now and get. I a mean, vaccine. there's doses that are being destroyed. It's like there's people that are refusing refusing right. them when they have very easy access and they don't last forever. So they right. there's definitely stuff going to waste while right. people don't have any access. Period. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. You know, I think philosophically, it feels icky to be giving third doses while other countries don't have any but i and i'm i in some ways it also feels like two separate issues too because of exactly what you just said and um i i I don't know where they are with i think do they end up um lifting the patent protections to 
create better access i actually i know we talked about that a while ago i actually don't i don't believe that it fully happened like i think that there's like you can keep talking and i'll Mm -hmm. google that while you're talking sure sure yeah so you know and so if we separate those issues out they're out they're obviously both really important um i know the issue of variance is very scary for a lot of people especially since delta has clearly shown that variance um can happen and can be devastating uh one thing that i found that made me feel a little better about all of that um and again and i can pull up i can try and find the article that i found that in but i think it was an interview with the guardian and again i'm speaking off the cuff on this but uh they interviewed a it was either like an uh, epidemiologist or an infectious disease expert researcher in the uk who he considered himself like a COVID moderate when it comes to the news. Like he's not, uh, he's not, you know, he doesn't have like a rosy outlook about how it's all going to, you know, it's where we're at, nor does he catastrophize the way things are looking. And he said that, you know, if they knew about the Delta variant starting in December. So if you think about that's like four or five variants that happened within seven, eight months of all of this really exploding. And since then we have not had, a ver- like another variant of concern that's that's come out of that or whatever the phrasing is another really serious one um and they're they are tracking for that so you know statistically it looks like and just the amount this thing is spreading you know he was saying that we've basically seen all the variations that are possible at this point um and again he's you know that may or may not be true but statistically you know it, it seems at least likely knock on wood that delta may be the worst that we see but no one knows for sure but that made me feel a little better. It did that this person was saying that there's not another variant of concern right now or. Yeah. It, or that um, it seems statistically likely that we've se- I'm trying to let me find. I feel like this would be better if I was able to reference it more specifically. I did find something from nature.com and it mentioned um, like the U.S. backing the waiving of patent restrictions. And um, this woman whose name is, well, this person whose name is Rachel Cohen, who's the U.S. director for the nonprofit Drugs and Neglected Diseases Initiative in New York City said, it's a one, two, three. First, we need to remove patent obstacles. Second, we need to transfer the knowledge on how to make them. And step three is a massive investment. And step three is a massive investment in manufacturing capacity. And there's also, of course, like drug, like pharmaceutical companies are upset about like waiving the patent restrictions. So bottom line, like whatever the restrictions are or aren't, they are still for many logistic reasons, like people that do not have access to the shots at all, whether it's because, you know, the ability to create them in their home country is very limited or like other issues. So I also found the article I was, I was just quoting off the cuff. So it's an interview with Professor Francois Ballou, B-A-L-L-O-U-X in The Guardian from August. August 7th. Um, He's the director of the University College London Genetics Institute, and his work focuses on the reconstruction of disease outbreaks and epidemics. Um, So he considers himself a, quote, militant corona centrist. So I was sort of misquoting that a little bit. A militant centrist? Yes. Yes. Um, 
Okay. And yeah. Uh, and he's quoted as saying, uh, you know, they ask him, would you say a new variant of concern is still the major threat to our way out of this pandemic? And his response is that we haven't had one in a while. The four variants of concern all emerged in the second half of 2020. And it's important to keep in mind that viruses evolve all the time at a fairly regular pace. Uh, so he said it's important to balance the scariness of predictions with their likelihood. The likelihood of a lineage emerging that is 50 times more lethal is extraordinarily implausible. I say that because we have 200 respiratory viruses in circulation and most of us get infected on a regular basis. Uh, we've never seen that kind of sudden change in mortality. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you may have a better chance of winning the lottery jackpot many times over. So just, I, I recommend reading through that article if, if you're, you know, on a panic spiraling, um, hearing from an expert who is, you know, and he explains why, you know, the, the scientists that are working with directly pol- with politicians are, want to skew to the worst possible scenario because they want to have their bases covered. Um, but then, you know, you balance that with likelihood of things happening and it's not always as bad as all that. And sometimes it's worse because certainly no one saw COVID coming, but um, if anyone wants to soothe their anxiety slightly, I recommend uh, reading that interview. That's interesting. Cause I would yeah. think it would be the opposite. What would be the opposite? Oh, that, Paul, um, scientists, right. like skewing to the worst possible thing, because like, even when right. we were talking about like the concert happening, it's like it's more in the interest of things continuing to say that it's not that bad or it's not right. likely to get worse and right. stuff like that. I think that may, may be a difference with a pre-COVID versus a post-COVID world, right? Like we certainly saw a lot of people trying to downplay like, oh, this, there's no way, yada, yada, yada. And then I think, may, and this is, just, this is anecdotal on my end, but maybe it seems like now, you know, scientists don't want to get caught looking, you know, with their pants down again. Um, so they're they're skewing like, and I think the specific example with the interview with this um, professor was that, like, I think he was referencing a scientist in the UK who said that when the UK lifted their restrictions earlier this summer, they were going to see like 100,000 new cases a day. But then the numbers started dropping. Um, and so the professor was defending that guy saying, you know, in some models, it absolutely could have been that. But um, and he just wanted to be as, you know, as safe as possible skewing to this is the worst that it could be as opposed to the reality, which was, you know, not that at all. Okay, so I suppose that's it for the national news. Um, Like me, myself, personally, I do feel strongly that, you know, people will often say we're all in this together, but Mm -hmm. like pandemic means it's global. So the fact that there's places where like 90% or very high numbers don't have the shots, period, and in this whole time, like people have been traveling there and stuff like that. Um, as much as I can understand, like one, I feel like the best way to protect people who are vulnerable in places that already have access to these shots is for there to be continued modifications of behavior that keep everyone safer instead of just like, once we have these shots, everything can just be normal. You know, right. so that's just that's my that's my two cents. Uh, and we'll keep you updated and put links up on our social media pages. Um, and on that note, moving on to Emily with the good news story. Yeah, I also want to note we we did not coordinate our world or national news stories, but they ended up being pretty closely aligned. A little bit of a mind meld. 
Um, but yeah, so for the good news this week, I'm actually highlighting an Instagram account called Future Earth. Um, I was panic Googling the other day as I referenced that I do a lot because I probably spend too much time doing it. Um, I was looking for some non-terrifying climate change news. Just like I anything. imagine you like, did you watch Courage the Cowardly Dog? <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> I am, like, you know that meme of him typing on the computer like, Ooh. <laughs> Every week you say this, and I'm like, you're just like, oh. It's literally, literally me. You can see the stress radiating out of me. I'm trying, I'm trying to break out of it. It's a cycle, you know, just beget, begets more anxiety. But occasionally I find something good, which is why I keep looking back for more. But, um, but yeah, so a few weeks ago, I was on like a Reddit thread trying to find something, and someone posted about this account, Future Earth that does a Good News Tuesday roundup of positive environmental stories. Um, So I do recommend it as a balance to what can otherwise feel like an endlessly horrible news cycle. Um, Because the account does post a lot about climate change and about, you know, action. It's actually a very um, proactive account. Like, you know, there are these polls being like, how worried are you about... uh, wildfires where you are and then they actually have information about how you can prepare like a kit for yourself so that if you have to evacuate you're ready to roll so it's a really good account that I think does a good job balancing um reality with you know staying pot like this good news roundup on Tuesdays just reminding ourselves that the work that we're doing the work that people out there are doing is having an impact so with that being said, here are some stories uh, directly taken from Future Earths, uh, August 24th, Good News Tuesday Roundup. This story is from NPR, quote, a federal judge has declined permits for a major oil project in Alaska. A federal judge threw out Trump administration approvals for a large planned oil project on Alaska's North Slope, Con- Phillips Willow Project in the National Petroleum Reserve. The judge ruled the federal review was flawed and didn't include mitigation measures for polar bears. Uh, So that's number one. The next story is from Oregon Public Broadcasting, or OPB. Uh, Quote, Biden to nominate Umatilla tribal leader Chuck Sams to direct National Park Service. Biden announced his intent to nominate Oregon, Oregon tribal leader Charles Chuck Sams III to direct the National Park Service. Sams is the former director of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation, as well as a current member of the Northwest Power and Conservation Council. He is the first Native American to be nominated for the director post. Uh, and the next story is from the Montreal Gazette. Quote, Montreal unveils new bylaw banning pesticides. Mayor Val- Valérie Plante announced that Montreal will be the first municipality in North America to ban the sale of more than 100 pesticide products for domestic use. A bylaw to be adopted in September will bar the use of 36 substances, ingredients mainly used in pest control and agriculture products. And this story is from the Allegheny Front. Quote, proposed coal mine in Pennsylvania hits roadblock at township meeting. A company that wants to build an underground coal mine in Allegheny County failed to get necessary rezoning permits. The Forward Township Planning Commission voted unanimously to oppose a request by Coronado Global Resource, Inc. to rezone much of its 980-acre property to create the mine. Up next is from The Guardian. Quote, Swedish company produces first batch of steel made without using coal. The world's first uh, customer delivery of steel produced without using coal is taking place in Sweden. 
The Swedish Venture Hybrid said it was delivering the steel to truckmaker Volvo as a trial turn in prototype vehicles. Traditional steel production using coal accounts for around 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And finally, the last one I've chosen from this roundup is from the Stanford Daily. Quote, Stanford University will be powered entirely by solar energy next year. Its original goal of of going 100% solar by late 2021 was delayed by a year due to supply chain shortages, as well as a fire that destroyed a part of its first solar generating station. The university ranks within the top 10 colleges for using the, the more renewable energy and is also positioned to become, I'm sorry, I think I may be misquoting this, either the for using the most renewable energy, maybe? Anyway, um, and it's also positioned to become the first research university to use 100% renewable electricity. So yeah, I recommend checking that account out, uh, at least if not for their Good News Tuesday Roundup. Okay. So yeah, like we'll put a link up to that. So um, those of you who are anxious cats and kittens or whatever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have something um, positive to brighten your day. Yeah. So um, that's it. We did it. We did this. We did the last episode of August. Um, That was some good news. But in a piece of sad news, uh, the drummer for the Rolling Stones, Charlie Watts, passed away on August the 24th. He was 80 years old and he was one of the founding members of the Stones. He was with the band since 1963. Um, And as a tribute to Charlie Watts, here is my favorite or one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs. It's a bit melancholy. It's called Moonlight Mile. Um, So thank you again for listening to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. You can hear our episodes on Spotify, on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Bye, y'all. Stay cool. Bye, bye.
Radio Free Brooklyn is sponsored in part by Peters Valley School of Craft. Peters Valley presents the Fall Craft Fair at the Sussex County, New Jersey Fairgrounds on September 25th and 26th. Visitors can browse and buy handcrafted pieces from over 100 exhibiting artists. Ticket sales support Peters Valley School of Craft, fostering creative thinking through fine craft education, programs, and events. Tickets and more information at petersvalley.org. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-V-A-L-L-E-Y dot O-R-G.